New Year, everyone. Welcome to the exciting first episode of The Shift for 2022. I'm Shay Candish, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's Assistant General Secretary and the host of this show. We're recording this podcast from the land of the Darawal people. This land was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. As you may know, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association is the New South Wales branch of the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation, the peak body for nurses and midwives in our country. Together with the Federation, we fight for improvements at the federal level, which impact upon professional lives of nurses and midwives. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Federal Secretary of the ANMF, my dear friend, Annie Butler. Annie has been Federal Secretary of the Federation since 2018, after having served as its Assistant Federal Secretary since 2014. Prior to that, I was fortunate to work alongside Annie at the NSWNMA, where she worked as a professional officer and an organiser. Today, we'll be discussing the ANMF's priorities for 2022 and what the big issues are affecting nurses and midwives across the country. Welcome to the show, Annie. Thanks very much, Shay. Thanks for inviting me. It's lovely to have you. To kick off, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your experiences before you became the Federal Secretary of the ANMF? Okay, so like all elected elected officials of the ANMF branches across the country, I am a nurse, I'm a registered nurse. I started nursing a long time ago um, and worked clinically for about 10 years, largely in public hospitals, community nursing, a bit of health education and then health promotion. I then went into the university sector and uh, worked in a research project for a while when kids were little um, and uh, then started doing some teaching at university as well. And then back, it's actually, it's about 18 and a half years ago now, (laughs) I saw an ad in a newspaper, actually in a printed newspaper um, for a thing called a professional officer with the then New South Wales Nurses Association. And the description of that ad was, I just read that ad and went, well, well, that is me. That ad (laughs) is me. That's my job. It had this combination of nursing, health, politics, like everything I was interested in at the time. And so I remember applying for the job, going in for the interview, and the interview panel had five people on it. And... uh, Brett and Judith at the time and I just was convinced that that was my job and they should look no further (laughs) and so that and I got the job and so I worked as you know at the association for 11 years was very lucky to work with you um, and many other great people and I think I'm very fortunate that the different roles that I had across the association and the support the support that came from particularly Brett and but the leadership and stuff about how much um, how much development that was allowed for people really put me in a very good position to then move on to the federation, the national um, organisation of the federation, and take the position the role as assistant federal secretary. And even though I had back when I first started at the association. I actually did quite a bit of the work of national representation for the association, but with the other branches at professional levels and stuff. 
but <laughs> that kind of thing gets all forgotten. So I did go into the, even though I had that perspective, when I first went into the Federation, I still had a very much a New South Wales focus that I brought yeah. with me. I reckon it took a good three months to just understand, oh, there's eight branches. Oh, they all think they're the best. Oh, I get it. <laughs> and so it was a bit just of a... Just for the record, New South Wales is, of course, the best, <laughs> so I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> they're like a true present from New South Wales. <laughs> um, and so then that took a bit of a step back. I actually remember uh, in that those times, Coral Levitt was the president of New yeah. South Wales and she was the federal president. She was a federal president sort of... Just she was just leaving as federal president as I was joining the the federal office, and she had some very wise advice mm-hmm. about just taking a step back, taking a, a breath, mm-hmm. and taking a while to just observe everything rather than going like a bullet at a gate and try and change all other branches to being New South Wales because that's just <laughs> not how it works. And it was it was really useful advice, and so you know. Now I, do, I now I understand <laughs> too well. And so now the job is very much um, it, it, it's ha, ha, look how to build consensus mm. and agreement and enough involvement mm. and commitment from all branches to work together on national issues. And I can say that sentence quite easily, but actually doing it, is is um that's quite a challenge but we the branches are kind of we are we are managing to work sort of to build that consensus on national issues and sort of try and work as much as possible together even though it'll always state issues you know are, are probably most important because they tend to affect you know, the majority of members, um, the biggest concerns, those sorts of things. So it's, you know, everything's a balance, achieving a balance, a balancing act. I've found it really interesting since stepping into this role and working kind of with, you know, more closely with some of those other state branches. Um, Obviously, we all have slightly different interests, but broadly, we all kind of feel similarly about the professions. So it's been really interesting to see where we can kind of leverage all of our kind of collegiality and almost, you know, stop reinventing the wheel and take the best of what each state or territory branch is doing and just plug all of that together. I think um, I'm very hopeful. I think that there's a lot that we can do in that space to you know just cut out a lot of unnecessary duplication and just get stronger more quickly so I think that's really exciting yeah and I think that's important I think we are building that a lot better I think the um we there has okay this probably full bit too much of a full disclosure but there's been a bit of competition Mm. between branches over the time and that 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 uh, unfortunately sort of belies the overall national strength that we can have. Like if you consider that we've now got more than 313,000 members, yeah. like leveraging that, if we get all of that strength working together on um, a national issue, and as you say, pretty much everybody's issues are shared. They do all want the same things for nurses and midwives. It's just... 
in each jurisdiction that that can be achieved in different ways and it can be um different people are at different points depending on the state government that you have and the relationship that you have and all that sort of thing but if we can keep change and we have changed from competition to collaboration as yeah. you said sharing all of those resources strategies and then uniting around the, the common goals that we have yeah I think we're on the we we can just get more powerful absolutely I know um last year we were in parliament and you were addressing Barnaby Joyce and you made a comment about us being the biggest union in the country and was it something like one in every eight people or something no 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 no, no. that that would be insane <laughs> one one in every 84 Australians right an ANMS member yeah I feel like that's incredibly powerful you know to be able to say that we have got that level of coverage across the, the whole country you know that that really does demonstrate what we can bring when you know we all are collective absolutely and when you put it in those terms people are always stunned by that statistic because you can say 300,000 plus people don't really get that they don't understand it but one in 84 like putting it into that that simple term it is it, and when you it's absolutely stunning and you think of it everybody knows a nurse yeah everybody's had some kind of contact like the that that kind of the contact the relationship the respect in terms of how community members regard nurses you know they think they're of course they're the most ethical the trusted all of that kind of stuff if we can harness that and turn it into what is actual respect from government's politicians you know Absolutely. Decent wages, all of those sorts of things. Conditions, a seat at the table. Yeah. You know, a, a proper seat at the table. Um, but there are things we have to work on. I think we've spent a bit of time, I've been thinking about it quite a bit, and especially as we lead now into this federal election, because there are things happening across aged care, there are things happening across health where too many times we find out I mean, obviously, it's not the most cooperative government with us at the moment either, but we find out that um, a, a reform committee or, or a, like the Aged Care Advisory Council, you know, the, the government's decided to appoint it. Not a single nurse yeah. on there. Outrageous. And so, but I'm thinking of, um, so how do we change that? Mm. So, yes, we might so we wrote a letter we put out a media release on this, for this specific example I um I've also been working closely with other nursing organizations and I got them all it's just basic organizing yeah um got them on board and said right and got them all to sign this joint letter to the ministers with me but still no change mm. so still so that my and because of the media release, though, it got um, put into a couple of in aged care industry publications. And this group that I didn't even know about, there's this consortium of gerontological nurses, mm -hmm. nurse academics. Yeah, I have right. no idea. There's these professors of nursing from all over the country. Yeah. They were furious mm. hearing about nursing being left off. And so... Then there's another group to start working with and, you know, 
worldwide, yeah. letters, etc. But I had this conversation with them and met with them, but that doesn't work. That's not worked. Writing a letter to the minister saying, how dare you forget us, hasn't worked. So we need to do something differently. So we need to, sorry, I'm talking, not, don't mean to talk over the top of you, but leverage that. How do we take that power and leverage it and use it differently? So instead of just, we end up complaining about being left out, how do we make sure we get included? But I think it's the, you know, time old issue, isn't it? No one's going to hand the power to us. We uh -uh. actually have to find a way to take that power ourselves. That's right. Um, because it's not in the government's interest to have us there. We are only going to spend the time pointing out the things that they need to do better and they don't like that. So it's convenient for them to exclude us um, and we can whinge about it all we like, but that's not enough to, you know, drive them to want to do anything any differently. It's really interesting, I think, having gone through this sort of couple of um, years around COVID, I think our branch and looking at a lot of the other branches across the country um, and the federal office, I do think we were able to really establish ourselves as the credible alternative voice to what was going on in COVID. Um, and the community really were able to demonstrate that they wanted to hear from us because they weren't convinced that what was coming out of government was always accurate. So I think us pulling on all of those levers and continuing to demonstrate that there is an alternative option and that we will speak truth even when they don't like it has to be a good thing, right? Um, because people clearly want to hear it. They don't want to just take the government line um, because it might be convenient for the government, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get the improvements in places like aged care or, you know, state health that we think we need to see. I think you're absolutely right. And I think now is one of the best moments we've probably ever had to, as you say, let's just try and take the power by being that, would, and not, not even just an alternative voice, but the actual voice of the actual truth. Yeah. And with the, the lack of regard right now that community has for the just politicians, major political parties, unfortunately, they just... They expect so little from a politician and, yeah. and so therefore they demand very little because they're just so um, disengaged with it all. So that's right. There's such a lack of engagement. They don't trust them. They think life will go on anyway. But they do trust, you know, nurses are the people that they can turn to. Yeah. And so are doctors and probably other health professionals. But, yeah, we've probably never had such a good time to really take that next step. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think we just have to be out there saying what's going on and saying what we need to see for all of our patients, all of our aged care residents and for the healthcare systems that we work in generally. Yeah, and I guess part of our, uh, the, one of the things that we need, we really need to make that happen as well is though we, the members need to be in the same place. Yeah, absolutely. We think they should want them to be. But, and I mean, you would have a much better sense, Shay, but I, while aged care members, I mean, okay, all of our members are pretty exhausted, particularly in, here in Victoria, having had that two years, right, which was the most intense experience and particularly in Victoria was the most in intense experience. And here, as we go into what we hope will be a, a more settled, you know, 2022, um, hopefully 
you know, COVID will be, we, we just don't know, but, you know, we hope this will be more settled. But I still have the sense that with people having had a bit of a break, a bit of a chance to reset, and now taking all that knowledge and experience of the last two years and being able to really turn it into getting what we need mm. at the federal election. Mm. And that's, that, that's primarily about aged care, but not just. It's also about health funding. Yeah. Because what happens at that federal level matters to what can then happen at state levels. Yeah. And with the pressures that we've seen over the system in the last two years, not just, not just in Victoria and not just in New South Wales, but, you know, also in the non-COVID states. Mm. And that means that there are real, really significant changes that need to happen at federal level for, you know, those pressures to be relieved and get better. So I'm hoping that the members are at the point where they also have just had enough and they just see it's the time now. Mm. No better time to try and make something. I think in New South Wales, that's absolutely the case. Like our members are totally smashed. They are completely exhausted, but they've also been trodden on for so long that they've had enough. So I do think that, you know, they've been through what can only be described as the worst that their environment can really get. They've had really complete, they've been treated with complete disregard by the state government. You know, I think it's been sort of niceties and, and you know, we'll, we'll applaud you and all of this sort of business, but no real value. Uh, and our members haven't really been listened to, you know, so it's been a really incredibly challenging time and they're fed up. Um, so I hope that that does translate into members saying, actually, it is time to take action. The other thing that I would reflect on um, by that kind of state-by-state -state comparison is New South Wales at one point has set the pace for paying conditions and things like that. Not anymore, you know. We're watching Queensland, Victoria, South Australia, their opposition has promised that they'll have ratios if they get into government. Even Canberra have now said that they're going to commit to ratios. So every surrounding state around us um, is looking at improvements to all of their conditions. And a number of those states are also already better paid. So, you know, New South Wales, I think, well, I said earlier in the piece, we're the best. <laughs> I think we have really uh, been, you know, working under a conservative government for, you know, the last whatever, eight or 10 years, whatever it is now. Um, and we're starting to see the impacts of that because we've really pushed the system to the absolute limits of what it can do without the investment that it really needs to be able to live, deliver services. Uh, and, you know, the government's own data that comes out through the BHI reporting is demonstrating all of these things. We're seeing, you know, increases in presentations, delays in seeing patients, delays in, um, you know, the normal, like, time for operations, things like that. So it needs a really good investment. And part of that has to be nurse to patient ratios because we're the only state on the Eastern seaboard left. Like we're really falling behind. So if that doesn't motivate members to kind of get angry, um, I, I don't know what will, to be honest. Yeah, completely. And you, you, you will, you are actually yep. starting to fall behind. Yeah. Um, and 
from me living here in Victoria and seeing the genuine respect that this state government has for its health workforce and particularly its nursing workforce and, you know, rewarded by, like, honesty, transparency. I mean, no one's perfect, of mm. course, but comparatively... And I, I know from people in New South Wales, they just felt during the big COVID Delta wave last year there in New South Wales, that the government just wasn't transparent the same way that the Victorian government was during our multiple waves mm. of COVID, but also by, you know, um, the Victorian nurses got offered a surge, a COVID surge yeah. allowance. Yeah. Um, on top of already, you know, they've had ratios in their agreement since 1998, then 2000, you know, wavered, but, and then legislation since 2015, and then they've been improved. Yeah. So the legislation's actually been changed to improve ratios. So, yeah, there's, there's starting to, big gaps could start to form. Yeah. And yeah, we've... Um, I actually was at the, well, virtually, but the South Australian branch conference and happened to hear the leader of the opposition there make the announcement yeah, that right. he would commit to nurse-to-patient ratios. That's right, secured in ACT. And then in Queensland, with them having their ratios from their um, legislation in 2016, the great thing there is the evaluation work that's being done and mm. by UPenn and QUT up there. So... UPenn, for people who might not know, um, is where Linda Aitken comes from and the University of Pennsylvania, who's done all of this kind of nurse-to-patient ratio staffing models work. And just already, and it's published material already demonstrating not just uh, the economic savings, but yeah. the, the, you know, the human savings. The patient outcomes, right? How patient much outcomes, the, all of those things. Problem is, we know that, yeah. you know, politicians, you can't just give them a piece of evidence. And uh, so, well, there you go. There it is. <laughs> make the, make the right choice it. now. Off you go. <laughs> I mean, it's Only. great to have that academic work but like um my assistant secretary laurie ann sharp and i always say every academic needs an activist yeah so we got the okay. evidence then we need the campaign the activity to make it actually happen yeah because you're doing the state thing but to underpin that it's really important at the federal election to make sure we get a government that we vote in a government that says it's going to commit to proper funding of the health system because the yeah. states aren't going to be able to do it properly without being properly funded. Well, so that feels like good. a good segue. Let's talk about what's what's coming out of this year and what we need to see happen in aged care and why. Yeah, sure. So we, I think we should acknowledge that this government under the extreme pressure of a range of different campaigns, a range of different voices, and then principally the Royal Commission into Aged Care has made some commitments, some steps towards uh, changes and reforms that are get, will ultimately make a difference in aged care. Problem is they need to go a lot further. So they, and the, issue that is that we I think we also need to be mindful of is while they are 
did say last year that they've committed to a mandated minimum staffing time and care hours, which is a first, and to put that in legislation, that is a first. They said they're not going to introduce it until 2023. Now, if they get elected again, there's a lot of wriggle room yeah. to change that commitment. Yeah. So we need to make sure that actually a government, we vote in a government that commits to legislated staffing ratios in aged care, number one. Yeah. And that ratio needs to include an appropriate skills mix. We yeah. need a registered nurse at least one on in every nursing home yeah. 24 hours a day. Can I just stop you there? So for anyone listening who may not come from an aged care background, which I certainly didn't, I was horrified to learn that there are aged care facilities that do not have registered nurses. But that is common practice, particularly in New South Wales. It's not a requirement. We see it quite often. Um, and so it's not surprising that we see some of the decisions that are made in nursing homes in terms of, you know, the outcomes we saw from the Royal Commission, because the clinical leadership is just often not there that that was a real surprise to me when I came to work at the association I had no idea you know that there were facilities that had no nurses uh, let alone you know some of these very big ones 300 plus residents and they might only have one registered nurse I was horrified to learn that and that that is currently okay under the you know the legislated requirements that is okay so that's why it's so critical that we see some change in this space just as one of the many things that need to be addressed in aged care yeah that's right and I mean while yes it is uh legal you know in the various arrangements across the country it's not okay yeah absolutely. there's no way it's okay and the, it, it just couldn't be more clear as we've seen in the Royal Commission and any also it's not just our members working in aged care like of course they know but members working in emergency departments in working in public hospitals where people have come into hospital from aged care when they shouldn't because there's yep. no nurse yep. there's or there weren't nurses to prevent a problem happening in the first place and then there aren't enough nurses to send them back yep. so staying in hospitals when they shouldn't be you know, and people with dementia getting taken to emergency departments because there just aren't enough staff to treat what, you know, people always refer to as challenging behaviours, which are actually just unmet needs. Yeah. And because there's not enough staff with the right levels of skills to be able to assess what those needs are and then work out how to meet them, they end up in the worst place possible for them, an emergency department. And so, yeah, it just couldn't be more critical. One of the important things uh, is, though, that this is not new. No. The Royal Commission happened, and it did tell Australia, the community, it told them this story perhaps in a way they didn't know mm -hmm. before, and so that's useful, but we knew. Yeah. We've known for a long time. So we cannot afford for this uh, just to be yet another report that finds out all the issues and then gets too easily dismissed by, by the government and by um, uh, the sector, by yeah. the providers, you know, and um, who I, look, I have to just be honest, 
last year, still fighting tooth and nail, mm. while in the one hand saying, oh, we respect our workforce, but, you know, it's a thank you, it's a clap, it's a thank you day in a barbecue, isn't it? Yeah. It's, but, oh, we're not sure about whether we re your work is valuable enough to really increase your wages yeah. to, where, to the point where they should be. So that's another thing we're heading into um, this year is what's called a work value case in the Fair Work Commission, seeking a 25% wage increase for aged care workers across the board. Um, and that would that, but that just sets the floor because not everybody's covered by that award, especially in New South Wales, but it is the nurses award as well. But, you know, we'll be seeing that out probably as we, probably very close to the time we have a federal election, we'll be having the two things at play because uh, that will progress and hearings will happen around the end of April and May. So there's going to be a lot of aged care activity mm. um, happening. And, you know, the other things we really need to see is two key things. We need to see transparency and accountability in aged care. We know that that's taxpayers' money going to the government and then from the government to private providers. Yeah. And private providers are, are non not-for-profit and for-profit providers, right? Both, many from both sections with questionable practices around how they use that money. And what we need to see is just, the way we term it is just proof that your money is spent directly on care. Yeah. And that just, that can happen simply. We just need it to happen. And the other thing is part of putting back registered nurses into aged care where they need to be, and getting proper skilled staffing across the board is just better clinical governments. You know, we need to have proper recognition. You know, the people who run too often, who run aged care facilities, just to have no clinical background, not even a health background. It's a business, isn't it? They're business. They're real estate and accountants. They're just yeah. running businesses. Yeah. And then there's just been a refusal to accept that there are health needs absolutely and those health needs are just being ignored and so we need a framework that recognizes that and then allows that to happen properly and to be staffed so that you know those health needs are met and the thing is that you know we spent a lot of time from the Royal Commission's report last year, then the government's budget, and then they've set up all these little reform activities going on that were, you know, who knows where they'll land, but just to us, still tinkering around the edges. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter until the workforce is fixed and those issues are fixed, nothing else matters. So that's gotta be our key focus. For what has to happen in aged care absolutely yeah. and we, it needs complete reform no more tinkering around the edges no more tinkering no more tinkering and the thing is that the tinkering wastes time you mm. know it just wastes time and yet there there just needs to be a clear plan that's just simple starting you know like a like a skeleton and then put the flesh on later but get the skeleton right yeah and I'm, I was certainly not convinced last year that that was happening at all. Mm. You know, we weren't inside enough of the important consultations, not even sure whether they're happening. I certainly know that state and territory governments haven't been included in those either. Mm. So the Commonwealth was sort of working in the dark a bit and we don't 
really know what's going on. Hopefully, we get to expose and find out a lot more as we lead up to the federal election. At this point, uh, we've heard nothing, no more, no greater commitment from the government, the coalition. You know, they've said we've made our commitments Every time I try to get further information out of uh, Minister Hunt, who's leaving at the federal election, but and the Prime Minister either was ignored or get a letter back just telling us what we already know. Oh, but we're doing so much. We care so much. No, they don't. The opposition has been making more reasonable sort of noises, I'd just say, but there's nothing firmed up yet. So we need to really make sure that if they want to have government, that they're going to commit to the things that not just nurses and midwives, but the people we care for really exactly. in that. Absolutely. And yeah. so then it doesn't matter whether it's the Labor government coming in or it's the Liberal National government staying, it's about getting improvements out of both of those um, in the lead up to the election, isn't it? We need commitment that they can do better because what's on the table just is not enough and it's not enough to keep residents safe um, unless we want to end up in a situation that continues to expose these problems that we already have heard from that Royal Commission earlier last year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because what we've got is absolutely not good enough. Yeah. And so, yeah, it doesn't really matter who does it, but we need we need to make it happen. And there could be other voices, literally voices in this particular um, scene. The, there's that an in, a movement of independents mm. who could be, um, they could be useful allies for nursing and midwifery. If we look at the current independence we have in New South Wales, you have Zali Stegall, mm -hmm. who seems to have some openness to a number of the issues that you've presented to her. And in Victoria, we have Helen Haynes, yeah. herself a nurse, yeah. passionate about aged care. She, you know, and if we, I know, I know major political parties do not want this at all, but and, and a lot of people don't like, uh, think that independents end up with too much power. But the thing with the independents that I've, like Zali Segal, like Helen Haynes, like Andrew Wilkie in Tasmania, they're doing the job an MP is supposed to do. They're representing their constituents. Mm. They're not towing any party line. They're Absolutely. representing their constituents. And so that can be pretty appealing to a lot of people when, you know, a number of the people who are now have put up their hands to stand in a number of uh, electorates around the country are pretty clear about they're interested in climate change, yeah. they're interested in ending corruption, political corruption, and they want integrity from politicians. The other thing I've heard them talking a lot about is they want improvements in health and aged care. Yeah. So these people have been sounding to us like they could be some pretty useful allies in trying to secure um, what we, the improvements we know are needed desperately for aged care, but also for health care. Mm, excellent. Well, I'm just conscious of time. I think we've covered the key things. Is there anything else that you want to cover off about any of the big campaigns for next year that federal office is kind of tackling or that you want members to know about? I suppose the only other thing I'd talk about that I we think is really important for our members across the country is the issue of 
justice for working women. Mm-hmm. And so justice for working, because the lack of justice for working women underpins a whole lot of issues that we deal with. Mm-hmm. Like part of the whole aged care problem is because it's just seen as female, traditional, caring work, not valued, etc. It's funny you say that. We had an academic come and talk to our aged care members and she said, you know, aged care is a feminist issue. And we know it's a feminist issue because obviously women work in the sector and it's sort of undervalued women's work, but also women use the service. You know, she was saying two out of every three residents is a woman and they go in with such little super that they don't have the choice to make, you know, different, that they can't exercise good choice when they don't have money to go and pay for the best service or the best provider. And so it's just kind of continuing to exercise that, you know, inequality that we see in women's lives, which I knew I knew that, but when she presented it like that, I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It is absolutely a women's issue and a Mm. feminist issue. And because it is, it's the women working there it's the, the, the people who are care recipients. Yep. It's also the majority of carers, informal carers, and people speaking for their relatives and stuff tend to be women. Yeah. The daughters, the granddaughters. There are men involved as well, but it is so well, much a women's issue. And so justice for working women is really important to us. And that is both in terms of like aged care mm. and getting all the things that we've talked about for aged care health as well, nursing and midwifery more broadly, but also issues like economic security in retirement. Yeah. Um, that's addressing the gender pay gap, addressing the uh, superannuation gender gap, yeah. addressing things like paid leave for domestic violence, but also ending, like looking to try and end family and domestic violence so there's a whole range of issues that are really women's issues that we want to really focus on as well particularly after what we saw last year and I will just be perfectly blunt Scott Morrison himself but also his government his complete lack of regard for women it just it just couldn't be more plain and I think by the end of last year women were just completely over it and I believe that young women particularly have turned away from that government in droves and are looking for alternatives and alternatives that are going to work for them better but it's an issue that that whole thing I, I just encapsulated in those words justice for working women but all those issues the the last couple of years not just COVID but the whole Me Too movement everything that we've just seen that you know like we we talked about with age and aged care and healthcare women have just had enough yeah that's enough this is time now to make permanent change so it, we want that to be another real um, key focus area for us this year. Absolutely. And I think that the last two years of COVID has really exposed the flaws of the society we live in, right? You know, in 2021, 22, we expect that life for women is getting better and COVID has exposed that 
for the first time maybe, or maybe it's been this way previously and we just haven't known, but it's exposed that women's lives have been much harder, you know, by comparison to men. Women were much more impacted by job loss through COVID. They were impacted by unpaid care, unpaid work. You know, it's been tough for the last couple of years for women in particular. So I think we just seem to have this expectation that equality will continue to, you know, improve, but unless we do something about it, I think we can see that's not the case. Yeah, absolutely. And the pandemic, yeah, totally revealed our strengths and weaknesses. They were already there. It just showed them to us. And so we know women were disproportionately affected by the pandemic, particularly working women. And so that means that all the recovery measures that we talk about and governments talk about and politicians talk about in terms of coming out of COVID and all of that, they have to be weighted towards making sure that there's a focus on women recovering Mm -hmm. from the Mm -hmm. pandemic. Which we haven't seen so far, have we? Not yet. (laughs) Well, I look forward to hearing about what the strategies are for us to get involved. Um, That sounds like really interesting campaigning work. So, of course, we'll be right behind it. I look forward to hearing more about it. Yeah, great. Thank you for your time, Annie. I really appreciate it. It's been lovely chatting with you. That's a very great pleasure. Lovely to chat to you too and look forward to the year ahead. Thank you. We'll be right back after a quick word about the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's Member Advantage Program. Did you know that as a member of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association, you can save thousands of dollars a year through our Member Advantage Program? Your union membership gives you access to discounts for everything from groceries, white goods from the good guys, holidays, and even a new car. You can access it through your member central portal. And if you're not yet a member, join today by going to nswnma.asn.au to enjoy the benefits straight away. That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I look forward to another year of exploring the world of nursing and midwifery with you through this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn so you can stay up to date with all our services and campaigns. We'll see you in a fortnight.